Hello everyone, my name is JT Wistersill and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands podcast on today's show, recapping week 8 of the NFL season. It's amazing, we're already halfway through the NFL season, it's been unbelievable so far, and week 8 offered us another incredible slate of NFL games that was really fun to watch. Also, we're going to be recapping the NFL trade deadline. Was it quiet? Yes, but I believe there were a lot of quality moves that will pay big dividends come the end of the season. But as we always do, we're going to start with the games this week. And we travel back to Thursday night where the Falcons flatten the Panthers 25-17. to I thought for the Falcons, this is kind of a defensive battle up and down game. It's been kind of similar to how the Falcons game versus the Lions was without blowing the fourth quarter lead. They almost did, but they got a nice interception late to seal the game. Julio was good this game. 137 yards continues to be the best receiver in the NFL. Although there's someone making it a little bit more of an argument we're going to talk about in a bit. Falcons as a team had 131 rushing yards. I thought Matt Ryan was very efficient, 21 for 30, 281 yards. Did have the one pick, but solid game by him. I thought the defense played well in the second half. They only allowed three second half points, so I give him credit there. It's just an underwhelming unit, but they did a good job there. Teddy was pretty good. He was efficient early as well, but got that unfortunate cheap shot late that just made it difficult for him to keep going. They had to take him out, roll with P.J. Walker, and they never got the momentum back. Teddy comes back in late, tries to force an interception, and just didn't work out great. Panthers also rushed the ball fine, 147 yards, but it was really that injury to Teddy that stopped any hopes of a comeback for these Falcons, and it was unfortunate for them that that's how it, for the Panthers, that it had to end that way, but a nice win for the Falcons as they continue to perform admirably under interim head coach Raheem Morris. Shifting to our next game, we have the Steelers winning versus the Ravens 28-24. What a game this was. The Steelers' defense, they struggled off and on. They struggled to stop the run a little bit early. There were a couple of plays through the pass, and they weren't the dominant unit as always that we were used to seeing them being. But they turned the ball over. They forced Lamar into some bad throws, pick six on Lamar's first pass of the game. They did a good job in that regard. And Lamar wasn't bad all day long. He made some nice throws, made some nice plays. But unfortunately for him... He just turned the ball over a few too many times, and that's what ended up costing him the game, I thought, was the turnovers. Because if you look at the stats, the Ravens dominated almost every single stat, but it just they just weren't good enough when it came to the turnover margin. You can't turn over the ball and win in the NFL. It's just way too difficult. Losing Ronley Stanley really hurt for them, especially against this ferocious Steelers defensive line. I mean, it's unbelievable. When you talk about Cam Haywood, Stephon Tewitt, Dupree Watt. That's an unbelievable du- group right there. And you throw in Tyson Aluile. I may be saying that name wrong, but he has been unbelievable to start the year as well. And it's just a dominant unit, and they did a really good job. For the Steelers, their offense, they were... They were not great early. They struggled a little bit. They took them to the second half, get going, but they had three big second half touchdowns that really opened the game up and allowed them to take the lead. And the defense got a few stops late. So the Steelers are playing like the best team in the NFL. And up to this moment, they are the NFL's best. And Ravens will be fine. Just got to cut off those Lamar turnovers. Moving on to our next one, we have the Vikings vanquishing the Packers 28-22. to And this was Dalvin Cook's game. 226 total yards, four touchdowns. The first Viking to do that since Ahmad Rashad. There was little to no defense played in this game. I will say that. Rodgers had three touchdowns himself, although they did miss Aaron Jones and David Bacchiari, especially later in the game when I think they would like to run a little bit better than they did. But there was no defense. There were zero punts in the first half. Each team went on long, methodical drives, so you got four long possessions that ended up only leading to each side only getting it two times each with each of those possessions resulting in touchdowns so it but late the vikings they made a couple stops on defense and the packers just weren't able to come back for that rogers got strip sack late ending any hopes for a comeback they did get robbed i will say the packers should have been a pass interference on anthony harris late in that game but did not get called and the packers just their run defense continues to struggle their wide receiver struggle to get open outside of adams but 
We'll get into that a little bit more later. And shift into our next game, we have the Bills beating the Patriots 24-21. Both QBs were very up and down. Cam had the late fumble that ended up losing him the game. Josh Allen threw an interception. Neither one of them looked great. They were both up and down. There were good moments where like, oh, there's good cams. And then there were also a lot of moments where like, oh, bad cam. I think that was exciting to see if you're a Bills fan. The running game hasn't been very impressive throughout the most of the year, but they were able to get 190 rushing yards in this game. And we saw the best game out of the tandem of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. They looked very comfortable complimenting each other. And Moss, the former, you did have two touchdowns as well. So very impressed by him. And like I mentioned, it was an ugly game early, but the second half, the offenses got going. We had a, a stretch where it was Bills scored, Patriots scored, Bills scored. So it got a little exciting there. And it just ended up happening that Justin Zimmer, the D-tackle, makes that unbelievable play, stripping the ball away from Cam when the Patriots are probably going to drive down and win. So give that, give them credit there, and the Bills are able to squeak out this win and look to be in great position to win the FC North. And it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with the Patriots as New England just continues to struggle, and they're in an interesting position. I still think they can make the playoffs, but are they winning a playoff game? I don't see that happening. Moving on to our next game, we have the Bengals stunning the Titans 31-20. Ryan Tannehill, it was a struggle this game. And some he this is one of the things you don't know about. When Derrick Henry can't constantly run the ball and control the game, how are they going to do? And in this game, even though Henry had 112 yards, they had to abandon the run because they fell behind early. They were in position to score inside the red zone, but Tannehill throws a bad interception. And that was kind of the theme of the game. The Titans beat themselves a lot. They have a bad pass interference that set up that set up the Bungles, Bengals' first touchdown. They also don't have much of a pass rush. I like Jeffrey Simmons, but it's easy to double him. Clowney's awesome, but is mostly just he's best in the run game. He doesn't have a ton of pass rush moves. And Harold Landry has been a little bit of a disappointment. We could heal make a play and you're like oh he is good and then he's quiet like he was his last game so also with the Bengals got to give Joe Burrow credit 249 passing yards and two touchdowns the Bengals defense also came to play they made some nice plays got guys like DJ Reader Geno Atkinson wasn't much of a factor didn't have Carlos Dunlap but give credit to this extremely young defense for holding this Tennessee offense in check for a while I'm also going to make a bold prediction about this Bengals team sometime this year Burrow and this team will beat Pittsburgh or the Ravens at least one time. They're going to upset one of those teams just because of how special Burrow is and those weapons on the outside. But that's down the line. Moving to our next game, we have the Raiders defeating the Browns in a 16-6, very boring defensive battle of a game. And why was it boring? Because the Raiders wanted it to be boring. They wanted to run the ball and control the clock. They had 208 rushing yards, with 128 of those being from Josh Jacobs, who had 31 carries. They did a great job of dominating the clock, controlling the ball, making sure that Baker and the Browns offense couldn't go on those long drives they like to with Kareem Hunt at the helm. With the Raiders, they did go on those long drives, but they weren't able to finish. Out of five times, they were able to cross the 50 and those resulted in four field goals and only one touchdown. So they weren't able to pound it into the end zone, which is obviously what they would like would have liked to do, but it was enough to get the win. And for the Browns, I mean, this is what happens when you have the fumble, you had the field goal, you just got to capitalize on these opportunities. First drive of the game was the fumble by Harrison Bryant. A field goal, get in the red zone, you got to score. Then you get the late field goal, which was set up because they had a open touchdown. Baker throws it. Looks like Jarvis makes a great catch. He actually dropped it. So it's just those missed opportunities. There were only six offensive possessions for the Browns in this game. That's just how dominant and a good job that this Raiders defense did. And Baker was not very good today. He was awesome last week, but against this team, 12 for 25, 132 yards. Not the kind of performance you'd like to see out of Baker Mayfield. Moving on to our next game, we have the Colts clobbering the Lions, 41-21. The Lions, they just struggled to move the ball all day. They only had, their leading rusher had 11 yards. It just can't happen. They had 29 team rushing yards. 
Just that's and that's good credit to the this Colts defense, which we know is can be very dominant, very intimidating, and the Colts continue to impose their will. Also picked off Stafford to erase any hopes of a comeback. And you got to give this, you do have to give the Colts offense some credit, though. Rivers did have three touchdowns, 262 yards. And they got going. They took advantage of some of those short fields that they were provided. But this is the Colts' win for sure. There was just too much on Stafford's plate. He had to do everything. And it's just, it's not a recipe for success to them. We also know this Lions defense isn't the best, so they couldn't prevent them scoring from these short fields. So it's just a disappointing loss for the Lions. You just want to be competitive to get smoked and lose by. 20 is a bad look and the Colts they they just their defense like I said they're just such a good unit they're ferocious they flip the field they score for you and they're going to be the reason this Colts team makes the playoffs this year not its pedestrian offense even though like I said Rivers did have a good game today moving to our next game we have the Chiefs demolishing the Jets 35 to 9 yeah not surprising you know you know sometimes going into these games could seem like a trap game in a sense of oh will they take them serious or not but as soon as Chris Jones this week said in this press conference, oh, they are a good football team. You knew the Jets were going to be in some trouble from that point out, and they were in trouble. I will say this. They never punted in the first half. They actually made three field goals, had nine points. The problem was they never kicked a field goal. They never scored. They were shut out in the second half. This Chiefs defense stepped up. Mahomes balled against this cr- crummy Jets defense, 416 yards, five touchdown passes. And, yeah, I mean, it's not that surprising. It's obviously the biggest mismatch. It's lopsided. Sam Darnold is expected to miss some time. So if Jets fans continue to power on, the tank for Trevor train is doing fantastic in that regard. Also got to give a shout-out to Tyreek Hill. He did an amazing feat this week. I don't love the person for some of the things he's done off the field, but you just got to respect this. He has 23 receiving touchdowns of 40-plus yards. That ties Randy Moss for the most in NFL history. Hill is only 26. He's going to obliterate this record, and he may end up having a Hall of, Hall of Fame-worthy career. It's going to be interesting, especially with the, since the fact that we know Mahomes is going to be there for a while. So those two stay together. Hill will obliterate that record. That is for sure. In our next game, we have the Dolphins dismantling the Rams 28-17. This Dolphins defense is scary. Christian Wilkins, Jerome Baker, Kyle Van Noy, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, Noah Igbenogany, Eric Rowe. They just get after it, and they make plays, and they just stifled and confused the Rams all game long. They had four turnovers, and they also had three. two of those turnovers resulted in touchdowns, and they also had a special team touchdown when Jareem Grant returned a punt for the house. Neither quarterback was very good. Golf was obviously bad, but two, it wasn't very good either. You might look and say, oh, they scored 28 points. Yeah, but we just highlighted three of them were defense, and the other score they had was taken advantage of because of a short field on another Dolphins turnover. So Tua didn't turn the ball over, though, so give him credit there. He was better than Fitzpatrick in that regard. So they're going to keep Tua at the helm because he doesn't turn the ball over, and that is an advantage. The only reason this was even a game early was Aaron Donald's strip sack, which is a massive play, and his second sack of the game is unbelievable as well. He should be the front runner for defensive player of the year. He's still the best player in the NFL, honestly. I know it's close with the way Mahomes and Russ playing, but damn, when you just sit down there and watch Aaron Donald play the game of football, it's hard to see anyone playing the position playing their position better than Aaron Donald was. He is just unbelievable. And getting back to this Dolphins defense, you got to give Brian Flores and their defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, some credit. They did a great job using some exotic blitzes that really confused this Rams offensive line and made golf look uncomfortable all day in the pocket. And this Dolphins team, they have a great culture established by Flores, and they're just a damn really good team. So give them credit in that regard. Moving on to our next game, we have the Saints squeezing out a win in Chicago 26-23. 
Both teams had success early. They were able to drive down, but there was a bend-not-break mentality by both defenses. We had some field goals early, and it was just very back-and-forth all day. Even game goes into overtime. The key difference was, as expected, Drew Brees was better than Nick Foles. Brees had two touchdowns for 280 yards, and Alvin Kamara had 163 yards, total yards. He led the team in rushing and passing, so give him credit there. Foles' interception was really bad, and also just the drive in overtime was not good either. Now, they did a very good job of using different, bringing different pressures as well and just being able to win their one-on-one matchups. Having a backup right tackle in there is never ideal, especially when you're getting into that overtime situation. But the Saints were able to overcome it. It was a great competitive back-and-forth game, but it's a good win for the Saints because their defense continued to make – both defenses make the plays, but – the Saints defense continues to come along. I know they gave up some points, but it was in Chicago. It's a solid win for them, and I still have no idea what this Bears team is. I think they're a solid team, but I honestly don't know, truth be told. Now, shifting to our next game, we have the Broncos coming back late to beat the Chargers 31-30. to There was good defense early here. Both sides did a really good job. Both quarterbacks and offenses struggled to move the ball, but then Herbert with his nice array of weapons. When you talk about Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, those guys started to get going, and they got up, got him up to a 24-3 lead with 6.05 left in the third. Also, quick quick thing on the Chargers. They run the ball way too much. Offensive line's not very good, and the running backs without Eckler are all below average. They should be letting Herbert sling it out there like he does so well. So, what ends up happening after that 6.05 mark in the third when they got that 24-3 lead? Philip Lindsay, 55-yard touchdown. We're back in the game, or so we think. You get a stop. Drew Locke throws a pick. This looks like it's going to be it with the Chargers driving and getting in the red zone. Then, Herbert drops back and throws it up. Mike Williams got him on the 50-50 ball. But Bryce Callahan, their uh, Denver corner, makes an unbelievable play and picks off the pass and helps his team spark their kind of comeback they get going where they are able to score three touchdowns to put them right back in the game that including the game winning touchdown that lock ended up throwing to kj hamler so it's an unbelievable win for denver this game also really flipped when joey bosa went out with concussion you could tell they weren't able to get the pressure that they were earlier because they didn't have to have so much protection and their so much of their plan focused on stopping Bosa. They were able to spread it out a little bit more, which I think led to them having some more success on that end. So it's an unbelievable win for the Broncos. And of course, if you're the Chargers, just another lead that just hurts so much to blow. And moving to our next game, we have the Seahawks soaring versus the 49ers, 37-27. to Russ, I mean, he was cooking 261 yards, four touchdowns, and how about DK Metcalf? 161 yards, two touchdowns. Dude is an absolute beast. And when I mentioned earlier Julio being challenged for wide receiver, yeah, I get, I bet Hopkins, Michael Thomas, those guys are a little better right now, but DK is coming and going to be the best receiver in the NFL, like many of us predicted, and many people in NFL circles just overthought the, the oh, the three cone and some of these other things. He will never be the greatest route runner, but he's a physical freak and dominant. And speaking of dominant, how about Bobby Wagner? Wagner on the defensive side of the ball. He had 11 tackles and two and two sacks as well. So he was the heart and soul of this defense, and the Seattle defense continues to get better and improve. And they had a pretty good outing. A lot of those 49ers late points came in garbage time, led by Nick Mullins. And speaking of Mullins, he's going to have to keep going because the 49ers continue to have injuries pile up and pile up. They lost Fred Warner, their best player on the defensive side. They lost George Kittle, their best player on the offensive side. And Garoppolo is going to miss some weeks as well. The 49ers are the most banged up team in the NFL, and it's not even close. That's why a few weeks ago I jumped off him because I just saw the injuries and stuff that was going on. And it's just unfortunate that this is what it's come to. I just think it's way too many injuries for them to come back to. And that proved to be the case on Sunday as they did end up falling to Seattle. 
Now, moving on to that Sunday night game. Oh, yeah, the toilet bowl. The Eagles besting the Cowboys 23-9. Yeah, this was a rough game to watch. Wentz was his usual up-and-down self, making a great play and then making a bad throw. He had two touchdowns, two interceptions. We've talked about this before. Not all of it is on Wentz's fault. Yes, he could be better, but... Not a good offensive line, not the best receiver. But his offensive line looks world better than what Dallas has thrown out there. And when you have Ben DiNucci, you're not going to get much out of him. DiNucci and Zeke both struggled, and a huge part of their struggles is that offensive line who's just not doing a good job opening up running lanes for those guys. And the Eagles' defense, who has not been great all year, looked dominant against this Cowboys offense. So give him credit there. The Cowboys' defense wasn't that bad, but we've also seen, we know this isn't a great Eagles offense, so it's hard to evaluate either of these teams based on this performance. We have to see till they play real teams, and the truth of it is, the NFC East just is not that good of a division, so we're never really going to know how good these teams are until the winner, I guess, well, we know the Cowboys suck, but I'm talking about the Eagles, like how good they're going to be until they're in the playoff game, where Wentz could technically, potentially get hot and win them the game, but it'd be interesting to see. Also, I want to throw in an interesting stat for this game. Dak's last fourth quarter, he had 24 points in that fourth quarter. He led that Cowboys offense, 24 points. In the three full games without him, they have 22 points as an offense. That's awful. It is horrible. It is whatever adjective you want to use to describe it. Dak was not the problem, and they need to pay him his money. And it obviously hurts when you're on to Ben DiNucci, who was at James Madison last year. Not trying to shade James Madison. I'm just pointing out the fact. It's hard to when you have a quarterback who is in his first year out of James Madison start for you on the highest stage at the NFL level. Shifting to our final game, we have the Buccaneers barely besting the Giants 25-23. The Giants' defense is pretty good. Everyone wants to might be like, how is this close game? How is this close game? Well, it's because the Giants' defense is actually pretty good. If you look at the teams they've played, they made the Steelers a close game for a while. They held that offense in check. They did a good job against Philly last week. They did a good job against Tampa. We've seen them do this a lot. This Giants' defense isn't that bad. Leonard Williams looked like the best player on the field. The Giants' defensive tackle, DN, they kind of move him around, the former USC Trojan. He is a dominant force in the interior, generating hold penalties, got some big tackles for loss, and a sack. They also have Blake Martinez, who created the big fumble on Ronald Jones. He was a solid linebacker in Green Bay for years, and they desperately miss his presence. The rest of that Giants defensive line is pretty good, and James Bradbury leads a young but intriguing secondary. So that's why I think they had some success, and were able to really, really stifle the Buccaneers' offensive attack. The offensive line was not very good. Brady would have at least liked to have Godwin or A.B. out there. He did connect with Mike Evans, but for many stretches of the game, he was invisible. And when you take away Evans, the rest of that receiving court is extremely underwhelming. A lot of young guys. So that's why I think Brady was off. The protection wasn't holding up. The receivers weren't doing a great job getting open, and he just wasn't making throws when they were there. So bad combination. So based on what I've talked about so far, you might be like, well, how did they lose this game, the Giants? Well, it's because Daniel Jones isn't that good. He had two interceptions, and on the last throw, which some people are like, that's pass interference. You know what? Shouldn't have even had a chance to be pass interference because that ball has to be thrown way earlier if you're Daniel Jones. You get that thing out there quick, and it allows your running back, which I believe was Deion Lewis, to score an easy walk-in touchdown. But he waited and allowed Winfield Jr. to make an incredible pass breakup. It's a bang-bang play. Don't throw the flag. That is on Daniel Jones, and he was honestly the biggest reason they lost this game, I thought. He also has no protection either. They're not absolving that offensive line. They're not a good unit either. So the Buccaneers get a nice win. And while we're on the topic, I want to take a moment to highlight a player who used to play on the Giants and now plays on the Buccaneers. That's Jason Pierre-Paul. Pierre-Paul, of course, ended up blowing off one of his fingers in a firework accident. It was a horrible, tragic accident that derailed his career. But he's had a really good career. He obviously won a Super Bowl with the Giants all those years ago, back in 2011. And he actually has 86 career sacks. He's going to reach the 100 career sack mark, I believe, because he's still looking pretty strong. 
Gronk. So really underrated career. Will he make the Hall of Fame? No, but I think when you look up all-time sack guys with 100 plus sacks and Jason Pierre-Paul's on there, you may be surprised, but he has been a dominant force in this league for the past decade. That's going to do it for this past week's slate of games, but now it's time to shift into my one big takeaway of the week. And for that, we head up to Lambeau. The Packers stood pat at the deadline. It's not for anything they did, this team. This is the reason they're big takeaways. Because of that, they stood pat at the deadline. They didn't want to trade for Will Fuller, A.J. Green, or even a Brandon Cooks because they thought they didn't want to risk the future. They didn't want to... They didn't want to risk the future, and they didn't want to prioritize too much winning now. They didn't want to give up too much for a current move instead of the future. And that's exactly why this team hasn't won enough with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. They were too afraid of mortgaging away the future and not the present. When you are in a Super Bowl window, you should be doing what the Jets, what the Steelers just did with the Jets. They gave away a fifth-round pick for Avery Williams. It was a really nice move. It was a need. It was a position they needed with Devin Bush going out, and they only gave up a fifth-round pick. What's a measly fifth-round pick when this dude could help you win a Super Bowl? That's what Will Fuller. AJ Green or any of these receivers could have been for the Packers. Just that extra guy. Without Alan Lazard, you're just fingers crossed that Marquez Valdez Scantling can get open. And that's not the way. They we've been talking about this forever. They should have surrounded Rodgers with more help. And they had a great opportunity to do it. Will Fuller is a sensational NFL receiver and a great catcher of the deep ball. He runs good routes in that regard and has nice top end speed that Rodgers would love to have and he would have a great time airing it out to him and it would open up and unlock something this offense just doesn't have right now in a true elite deep threat. Valdez Scantling can be a deep threat but he is not a true elite deep threat. So just I thought adding a receiver was totally worth the short-term cost when it can help you win a Super Bowl. But this team does what they always did. Like I said, stand pat. They didn't upgrade anything in the draft. This is one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to the Packers. They have needs. Everyone knew what those needs were, and they're like, no, we're the stuck-up Packers. We're going to do our own thing. They needed a wide receiver, interior defensive line help, linebackers, and they could have even used another upgrade in the secondary. Jair Alexander is unbelievable right now, but he's the only one back there who's really getting it done at an elite level. So what they do instead, we just went over those needs. They, instead, they went for a quarterback of the future, a running back, and a fullback tight end. All those guys have barely contributed. AJ Dillon, that running back, is a is their third running back when everyone's healthy. He's helped out a little bit because there's been some injuries, but hasn't done much. Joseph DeGraia, that fullback, has absolutely been useless for them. And Jordan Love isn't even their backup quarterback. Now I understand the Packers. Oh, we we think this is the next Rodgers. We struck gold last time. We A quarterback fell in the draft a little bit. Yeah, but there's a difference in Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers fell because of a little bit of character concerns like that. Nothing about his talent was up to risk. There were a lot of things about Jordan Love's talent that scare teams away, and which is why he lasted to so long in the draft. There's a lot of unknown and development that needs to be done before he's a starter. It's the reason he's not even the backup of this Packers team right now. So, horrible moves like that. Conservative. The wide receivers couldn't get open on Sunday. We saw it against the Vikings. And they got absolutely gashed in the run game because their interior defensive line sucks like it did last year when they lost the NFC Championship game to the 49ers. And their linebackers aren't very good. They needed an upgrade, a guy next to Blake Martinez, not to lose Blake Martinez and make things even worse. So this is what the Packers are. They're stubborn. They think they know the way. We're going to win now and prioritize for the future. But they're not trying to win now the right way. They're not making the necessary moves, and it's currently costing them very dearly, in my opinion. And that's why they're not going to win another Super Bowl with Rodgers. And Rodgers is going to leave them in a year or two, and they're going to be looking at Jordan Love, hoping he can be the next guy or get somewhere get to that point where hopefully he's a franchise quarterback. Because I don't know if he's going to be, but one thing's for sure, the Packers have completely squandered away this beautiful window they had with Rodgers, and they could even be going for a few Super Bowls right now. But they're not true contenders. They're pretenders with an unbelievable quarterback who's making us think they're actually contenders when they are most certainly not. 
Shifting off my big takeaway, let's hit the NFL trades. There was a couple trades the last week since we last spoke. We talked a little bit about the Yannick Ngakwe move. That was a nice move for Baltimore. Everson Griffin to the Lions. Like that move as well. But there were a few trades sprinkled in. There were no good ones today as we're going to get into. But for the ones that happened throughout the week, Carlos Dunlap to Seattle for BJ Finley, who's an offensive lineman for Seattle that wasn't really doing much, and a seventh round pick. Dunlap is 82 and a half career sacks and knows how to get after the quarterback. Now, he's nowhere near the player he used to be. He only had one sack so far this season, but he is obviously Seattle is going to walk in there and be their best pass rusher and I really like the move because this team desperately needs some edge pressure and they just have not been able to get it consistently so even bringing in the aging Dunlap I thought was a really nice move for them and could pay big dividends come postseason time for the Steelers I hit it on a little bit I love trading Avery Williams for the fifth round pick that they gave up he had three years of 100 plus tackles with the most in that span being 120 he's a veteran in this league who rarely misses tackles yes he tore his ACL last year but he already has 59 tackles this year and will do a great job of getting in there and replacing Devin Bush so I really like that move for them adding an impact player who's going to walk into that linebacker room and be able to contribute instantly and speaking of linebackers Kwan Alexander after a year ago signing a deal with the 49ers a year and a half later they ship him off to the Saints now, Alexander used to play with the Buccaneers and was very good down there making a Pro Bowl. So, Saints are very familiar with his work and thought they could scoop up a really nice player to pair next to Demario Davis. So I really like that tandem there. I think both guys can cover and are athletic. I think Davis is one of the five best linebackers in the league. And Alexander is not that long ago being removed from being one of the ten best linebackers in the league. So, really good tandem there. As Alexander continues to build up and get healthy, like I said, that gruesome injury last year cost him some games. I think he's going to be able to help them out a lot lot this year and that linebacker duo is terrifying and for the 49ers Fred Van Warner went down so you bring over Akiko Alonso who's kind of a one-year rental help you out a little bit there and you get the fifth round pick and you get out of the Quan Alexander contract which wasn't the best with the way Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner were playing and you don't see a lot of three linebackers three inside linebackers Mike Will linebacker sets like that in the NFL today it's mostly two linebackers and then you throw in there some of those outside linebackers Another impact trade that happened was the Chargers send Desmond King to the Titans for a seventh. Now, this was unbelievable value. Or actually, for a sixth, sorry, not a seventh. But the Titans have been struggling. They gave up 31 points this weekend to the Bengals. They need to improve their secondary play. They got Malcolm Brown back there, Jonathan Joseph, and they just need some more guys. The injury to Dory Jackson has been tough, and they haven't been able to overcome it. Desmond King is one of the best slot corners in the NFL, and I think we'll be able to come in there and make an immediate impact that they very much miss. So I really like the move. He was clearly unhappy with the Chargers, and the Chargers get a small return for him. Don't know why the Chargers didn't play him more, but like the move for the Titans. And as for today, boring. Isaiah Ford to the Patriots for a seventh. Oop. And then you get DeAndre Washington, the Dolphins. That was it. Those are some backup players. That's all we got for the trade deadline. What a dud. The trade deadline is always an exciting time of the year. The NFL trade deadline has not yet reached the levels of excitement that the NBA's trade deadline has, unfortunately, but just a disappointment. So like I said, these were quality moves that happened. But really quick, I want to get into three trades that I think should have happened. Or My bad, not three trades per se, but three players that should have been moved. The first one being Ryan Kerrigan. I have no idea why they just refused to deal him. He came to them and asked for a trade, and they just said no. You got Montez Sweat. You got Chase Young. Let him go. Get some nice value for him. John Ross, speedy receiver. You decline the fifth-year option. He's leaving this offseason. You decide not to trade him, even if you get anything for him. Don't know why you do that. And my favorite one that didn't happen, or just I'm surprised it didn't, and some people may be surprised to that I'm surprised it didn't happen, is Stephon Gilmore. 
it only cost a first-round pick and a decent player to come get him. This dude was just a defensive player of the year and is still a damn good elite corner who's one of the best in the National Football League. I am stunned no one manned up and went to get him as it seemed like the Patriots were in the midst of a fire sale. So, missed opportunity there, and I think one of few teams looking back on would have liked to make a move for Gilmore. That's going to do it for the NFL talk after all those after all those trades, some of which, like I said, underrated, some of which... Wish would happen. But really quick, I'm always going to hit on the NBA, even if there's some slight news in it. First off, Steven Siles is the new Rockets head coach, the former Mavs assistant. Reports were they liked his offensive creativity over a Jeff Van Gundy. He's worked with players like, he's coached players like Kemba, Steph Curry, and Luka Doncic most recently. So I think they like the way he pairs with Russ and Harden. And speaking of that, that's the biggest reason Van Gundy did not get the job, is that Van Gundy did not have the approval of Russ and Harden. You got to make, make sure your star players are happy in this league. And the, those two stars were clearly not going to be happy at Van Gundy, so good move by them. I also like the coaching staff he's putting together, keeping John Lucas on the staff, who was a good assistant last year and was in the running to be the head coach. There's also rumors they're going to add Nate McMillan, which would be a good move. And they got a decent former NBA player joining the staff as well, whose name eludes me at this moment, but I like the move hiring Steven Siles. I think he's going to be a good head coach over there for him. Now, as all of you know, the NFL draft is, I'm sorry, not the NFL draft, the NBA draft is only two weeks away. It's crazy. There is such limited amount of hype for it. It blows my mind. So next week, I'm going to be doing my personal mock draft, but right now I want to give you my big board right now. It's in the early workings, but based on the limited film I've seen from each prospect, this is how I have them ranked. Number one, Anthony Edwards, two guard with explosiveness. I think he's got a nice shot too. I think he's going to be the best scorer out of this draft. James Wiseman, center out of Memphis. He only played two games. If he would have played a full season, dude is an, a dominant offensive force and would have been higher higher in the draft boards. Probably the consensus number one pick, honestly. Then you got LaMelo Ball for me at number three. Love the offensive output from a creative standpoint. The best passer in the draft, but lots of questions about his defense and maturity. Killian Hayes, left-handed prospect who can absolutely light it up. He is an unbelievable shooter. He's got the hard and step back down to a T. Just got to develop that right hand a little bit more. Number four, I got Denny. I'm going to mess up his last name, but he's a foreign guy coming over, and he is an unbelievable passer. I think that's the best attribute I like about him. He can play the three or the four and hustles his butt off on defense, so I like Denny in that regard. At number five, I have Obi Toppin. Love the explosiveness he brought out of Dayton and think he's going to be a nice offensive force who's going to average in between that 15 to 22 points per game throughout his career. Moving on, we have Anoke Okonguo, the big man out of USC. Bouncy big man. Some people have said it's, he has gotten some comparisons to Bam, too. I really like what he can bring as a passer and a post, not as a passer, I'm sorry, as a post present and a rebounder. So I think he'd be a good steal. At number seven, I have Isaac Okuru, the forward out of Auburn. Definition of three and D, but elite defensive potential, which is why he's in the top 10. Limited offensive player. Then I have... Tyrese Halliburton, the guard out of Iowa State. I really like his leadership that he brings in and think he can be a really, he's just going to be a solid player. He does everything well, nothing unbelievably. We know this isn't the best draft, which is why a guy like Halliburton finds his way in the top 10. A solid player, you know what you're going to get out of him. And finally, at number 10 for me, I have Devin Vassell, the wing out of Florida State. I think he's got a really good game that can be developed. I like his potential as a def defender, and I think he can grow into a threat offensively, but a lot of potential and upside with him. So that's my early big board, my early big board. Next week, I'm going to do just hit the lottery, 14-team mock draft, as well as obviously continue with the NFL recaps. Guys, thank you guys so much as always for tuning in to From the Stands, and I look forward to speaking with you guys next week. Signing off.